my kids were small, you know, we had the three in a row, so we would play in the floor. A lot of times when I'd come home from church, uh, we would end up in the floor in our living room, and we were Lego maniacs. We had Legos upon Legos upon Legos, these little building blocks. Um, I mean, they were everywhere, and we loved playing Legos. We built all kinds of crazy things, and Josh was into building spaceships, and Caleb into building cars, and, you know, Mary just likes to stack them and unstack them and make color-coded things. And uh, she was real little at the time. So we would just play like that. Now, I remember numerous times when it gets to be bedtime and we're not finished building or um, we want to just keep playing. You know, the kids don't want to go to bed. They're having a great time on the floor. Um, We're all having fun. And so I would say to them, all right, kids, let's clean up the Legos, put them back in the buckets. We're going to bed. Now, if I say that to them... There's a couple of options that can happen with that moment. Because that is what the father has instructed the children to do. It is the rule. It is the law. We're putting away the Legos. We're going to bed. That's how it's going to happen. Okay? And and I could say, you know, I remember numerous times where little Mary with her big blue eyes would look up and go, Will you help us? You know, I'm like, y'all put away the Legos. What do you mean help you? I I helped get on play with you all night. You know, as a father, I have the option of saying, no, I will not help you. I gave you the rule. Now get those Legos in those buckets and get to bed or there's going to be trouble, right? That's what I could say as a father. You know what that is? It's the law. And that's how God has drawn up the law. Um, The Bible says that all we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And everybody that sins ends up in hell. That's the law. Or I could say as a father, I could say because I'm a grace-based father, I could say, sure, I'll help you. Matter of fact, I'll come down there with you in the floor, and I'll race you. I'll do the yellow ones and the green ones. You do the blue ones and the, and, and the other ones, and we'll just make a big stack, and I'll beat you. And I could have fun helping them. I could be the father who comes down and says, here's what you need to do, but I'm going to help. You understand the difference in grace and law? You understand the difference in works-based theology and grace-based theology that we believe in? We believe that we are terrible, rotten sinners and cannot help ourselves and that, that God comes down to help us in everything we do. Even in the instructions He gives me to be righteous and obedient and pure and holy and to be a witness for Him. All the things He instructs me to do in the Bible, that long list of to do's in the Bible... All those things of obedience, he comes down and goes, sure, I'll help you. No problem. I'd love to help you. Just keep turning to me for help. Rather than God sitting up in heaven going, no, you do it like I said or else. Right? That's what the Judaizers were saying. God's saying, hey, I've sent my son. He died for you. He's back in heaven now. Do it like I say or you're not really saved. That is not the God of the New Testament. It's not the God of grace and love. It's not the gospel of grace that says we can trust completely in Christ's work that He's already completed and He will help us so we don't have to work by ourselves. You don't have to work at your righteousness by yourself. Now, you have to work at your righteousness. Paul tells the Philippians, work out your own salvation. Get after it. Make some effort. He tells Timothy... Study to show yourself approved. Take great pains with the Word of God. Get into this and grow some. So you have to apply yourself, but you're not by yourself at it. God's not sitting up in heaven watching you going, Hey, remember I told you you better not do that, and you better do this, and you better do it now. That's not how God's treating us. God is actually 
engaged with us. He puts the Holy Spirit inside of us, which is all about chapter 5 and 6, by the way. Paul's going to say in chapter 5, walk in the Spirit. And God says, I'm going to put my Spirit inside you to guide you, to teach you, to help you. I sent my Son to be with you, and now I'm sending my Spirit to live on the planet with you and help you. That's what the the Spirit of God is all about, and that's what it says. And so you understand the difference in freedom and grace and the bondage that comes with the law. Now, last week we talked about these churches, and I mentioned the Baptists like I did again, um, that add to the gospel, and, and not every Baptist is that way. I'm not, please don't go out and tell all the Baptist churches we hate them and we don't love you and all that good stuff. That's not true. We love the Baptist, and people all the time introduce our church as Northside Baptist Church. And somebody asked me the other day, said, oh, you're a pastor. Um, it's a Bible church. Um, is that kind of like a Baptist church? I said, kind of. <laughs> Just said kind of. I don't even try to explain it. Just kind of. Yeah, kind of. So if you look at us on paper, we pretty much look like a Baptist church. Um, we just don't have a baptismal, and we don't drag you into baptism until you're ready. And, and, uh, and then we wait till the water gets warm. So, um, But in truth, in truth, the Bible says we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And that is a very important line to draw. There are other uh, people that believe you have to have... Um, I've been told this in my life. I actually grew up with a challenge of this in, in my early Christian life. You have to have a second blessing from God in order to be fully saved and fully have the Holy Spirit. You have to have a second blessing or you have to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. You were, you were baptized into Christ when you got saved, but you weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the way you would do that is you have to speak in tongues. I went through a time in my life, my high school days, where I had a whole bunch of friends that were caught up into that teaching. And it's a, it's a false teaching of the Scriptures, but they were really hung up in it. And I mean, we were holding hands and praying together, and they're, they're all you know, speaking in tongues, and they're just waiting on me to go. And I'm just going, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't get this at all. I feel very close to God in these Bible studies we're in. I'm having a great time, love the stuff we're doing, just don't know what it means to speak in tongues. I don't get it. It's not happening for me. It's not a gift that's been given to me. It's not something I understand. And back in those days as a kid, I was, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have the full Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm falling short somewhere. You know, and I'm back home praying in my Bible. I'm literally on my knees in my room uh, with my Bible in front of me, just praying to God, going, God, if there's something I'm missing in this, you've got to help me. Please give me that second blessing, that extra thing, the new thing I'm supposed to have because I want to be all I'm supposed to be for you. Woo-hoo. You know, and I go back to Bible study. Okay, I'm all prayed up ready. No, not how. I don't know. You know, I just, I mean, I kept listening to him going, what am I supposed to say? It doesn't, never happened for me. But this group of people were teaching, and there are lots of churches that teach it, that, that you have to have another thing besides the gospel of grace, that believing in Jesus Christ as your only means of salvation is all you have to have. There are churches that say, well, you also have to have this special gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes you really saved. No, it's not true. And I love those churches. I want those churches to keep preaching the gospel and stop adding unto the gospel because that stuff's not true. Um, So I want to give you some principles real quick, kind of an overview of where we're going today and some things that that stick out to me real strong from our passage in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to study verses 7 through 12 of Galatians 5. If you want to turn in your Bibles there or your electronic notebooks or phones or whatever you're turning in these days. I want you to look at those. Principle number one, you can be taught the gospel of grace and can be led astray from it. You can be taught the gospel 
and be led astray. Please follow that truth clear in your head. Please lock this in. Parents, you got to get this in your head. You can teach your children grace and the gospel of grace, but they can be led astray. Our, uh, our elders at our church here, our Sunday school teachers, our children's workers, our youth leaders, listen to me. We can be led astray from the gospel. And we have to be careful. We have to be on our guard to not be led astray. So please get it clear that it's possible to get pulled into some false teaching, which means you've got to understand. Secondly, we have to teach our children and our grandchildren, our children's children, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's what we have to teach over and over and over again. You can't say it too often. You can't find too many ways to illustrate it, too many ways to remind them of it. As parents, you know what you need to say to your kids when they fail, when they really mess up? I love you anyway. You know why? Because God loves me anyway. He loves me by grace alone, through faith alone. Now, there are consequences to that. I remember when our kids were small and... uh, it was a Sunday afternoon, and I, we'd had a big college activity over the weekend, like a Friday, Saturday night college activity that just completely exhausted me. And uh, that Sunday when we got home from church um, in Birmingham where I served, we got home from church, I just for once in my life was going to take a nap on a Sunday afternoon. All the little kids running around. I'm hoping my wife's going to just watch. I'm like, i got to go lay down. And Joshua begged me to come outside and play baseball with him. Begged me, begged me, begged me. No, I'm not going to play baseball with you. You know, Dad is exhausted. And, I mean, it was crushing my mercy heart that, you know, he wanted that so bad. But I was so tired and I couldn't keep my eyes awake. And, you know, I just got to go rest for just a little while. So, you know, so foolishly I said, well, you just go outside and play by yourself. Sorry, you'll be all right. Go play by yourself. He's all mad, you know. He stomps out there. And, I mean, no sooner had my head hit the pillow than I hear this crash of glass, you know. And he's playing baseball in the front yard, pointed at the house, you know, not away from the house. With the baseball, you know, and he took a baseball and knocked it right through the front glass of our living room, you know. And I mean, as I'm sitting up in bed like, what was, oh, I know what that was. You know, my brain's kind of catching up with all that. He's come running into the room, you know, and he just jumps on top of me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's all crying, all upset, you know, because he messed up real bad. Well, there's an opportunity there for me to go, you dumb kid, what's wrong with you? You know, how many times we play baseball, you know, to face away from the house? Or just to hold them and go, it's okay. We're going to get through this. Dad knows how to fix windows. You know, we'll be okay. We're going to be fine. You know, let's go play baseball. And so I get up and go outside and cleaned up the glass first off the couch. <laughs> and uh, then we go outside and we play baseball for the afternoon. You know, me sort of a zombie moment for my baseball day. But just playing with them because I felt like he needed to have somebody with him through that trial he was going through. You understand the grace moment as parents... We have to learn to express grace in how we treat our kids. Even when they fail, we have to learn to express grace to them. And then thirdly, we have to teach sound doctrine in a culturally relevant way. Keep our teens and children falling away from God's holy truth. And I challenge uh, Cody, and I know uh, Brandon's not here. Brandon's uh, our youth leader, by the way, has hurt his, um, his surgery again. He's... Uh, torn one of the screws loose in the patch that ha- that's got his hernia screwed into his muscles, and he's torn one of those screws, and so he's pretty uncomfortable, and he's taking taking a day of rest, and so pray for him. But I've challenged him, I challenged Cody and and the other youth uh, folks, um, Tyler and others that work with our children. I've challenged them that we have to teach crystal clear 
relevant, culturally relevant truths to our kids, but teach them doctrine. I was so excited uh, in our pioneer clubs. Um, the first thing we started with was creation, um, the whole creation story. And uh, so, so the teachers, Emily's got uh, kindergarten through K through 2, and then uh, Andy's teaching third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth graders. And, uh, and the first night was the story of creation and how God created the deal. And, and it's a pretty simple story. I mean, you're telling kindergartners about that. It's pretty simple. But when I poke my head in to check on them, you know, Emily's talking about evolution. <laughs> and I'm going, whoa, this is awesome. And the kid, you know, Emily's talking about the Big Bang Theory and how some people believe it just went boom and then it all was here. You know, and the kids are like, oh, no, that's so dumb. And I'm like, yeah, you go, you know. That's awesome to teach the kids that what they're going to hear all through their schooling, all through college, is not found, not clearly founded. And we have to teach sound doctrine to them. So very important that we are culturally relevant and uh, teach our kids these solid, solid truths. Um, we've got to help our kids stay connected to the truth. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 7. Apostle Paul has said... Um, that if you, if you receive these false teachings, at the time he's talking to the Galatians, the teachings of circumcision, if you receive these false teachings, you have to be saved and circumcised, Old Testament law, um, then, then if, you're, if you're combining those two, he says in chapter 5, verse 2, he says Christ is of no value to you. Um, he says you're under no obligation. You have to keep the whole law. And uh, he says, verse 4, you've been severed from Christ. He says you're crazy for giving up Christ... For a set of laws. That's nuts. Please don't build laws that people have to live by um, in your world. <clears throat> and so he's challenged them. And I want you to know in chapter 5, Paul is very worked up. In the early part, he's a little worked up. By the time we get to the end today, he's very, very worked up on this issue. Verse 7 is where he kind of starts ramping it up a little bit. He says, you were running well. Talking about their Christian faith. You were running in your Christian life very well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you and in the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the, only, but the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Um, but I, brethren, am, if I still preach circumcision, why am I persecuted? By the way, verse 11 is, is an accusation that's been made about the Apostle Paul. I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, um, then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Would that those who are troubling you even uh, mutilate themselves. And so Paul's actually saying, I wish they would mutilate themselves. Those who would teach these false doctrines. He's very passionate there at the end. So I want to talk first about just what it means to lean on the foundation. Paul says, um, you didn't, uh, this gospel of, of these false teachings didn't come to, from the one who calls you. So he's talking about leaning on foundations and he says, it's important that you stay on the fundamental roots of truth at all times. Because there is one, look at, if you look at verse um, 8, um, this persuasion did not come from Him who calls you. Well, who called them to Christ? Who calls us to Christ? It's very clear in the Scriptures who calls us. Okay? And Paul's not talking about himself. First you go, well, Paul's talking about himself. He's saying, look, I'm, I didn't teach you these goofy things. He's not talking about himself, though, because Paul doesn't call someone to Christ. He presents the gospel, 
And the call comes from God Himself. I want you to look in, and you can add this to your notes, just write it in. Romans chapter 8. If you would look there with me. Romans chapter 8. Uh, one of the famous verses of Romans 8 is verse 28. So we'll read it and just continue on. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called, there's our word, according to His purposes. Now, what, how does that work? Verse 29. For whom God foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. So we can see that we're called and justified and glorified by God. God's the one who does the beckoning. I've said it to you many times. None of you figured out the need to call on God or go to God without God's help. You can't. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. Ephesians says we're dead in our trespasses and sin. Dead people can't help themselves. And so you didn't help yourself get to God. God reached down and said, oh my goodness, you're dead. Let me reveal this to you so you'll want some life and turn to me, trust in me, and then I'll give you full life. And we have life in Christ through his call in our lives. And Paul's saying, um, you were running well. Who took you off this course? God didn't. God called you. Why would you turn away from that foundational moment? I've said to you many times, you always go back to the truth of when you were saved and how you were saved. Remember that beauty of that grace moment. I call it first grace. Go back and look at first grace all the time and say, this is my salvation truth. And anything that fuzzes that up or makes that sound weird is not accurate. And then he talks about this stuff called leaven. Very interesting concept. Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And he's talking about the leaven of false teaching. And that's a a reference very much to what we would call yeast today. They would make bread and put leaven in it and make it rise. It would make it expand. And Paul's saying a little leaven in your teaching... Is bad. He's using leaven, and, and he uses it in the Corinthian uh, teaching as well. When he writes the letter to the Corinth, he says, a little bit of bad teaching expands itself and turns into a lot of bad teaching. Don't let bad teaching slip into your church. It's important that you not do that. I'm reading a book now that uncovers the foundations of what uh, people today call the faith movement. Um, the evidence of the, faith, the modern faith movement. It's linked to uh, Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland and those kind of guys, and I'm reading a book that that a guy has written to understand the history of all that and where they get their stuff from. It actually links back to a guy named Kenyon. And uh, if you study that whole faith movement deal and the writing that's there, um, Kenyon didn't have a fundamental belief that the Word of God was inspired. So the guy that founded the faith movement did not depend on the Word. He actually depended on God telling him things that may not be in the Word. And there's some writings in Kenyon's stuff that says Kenyon doesn't actually have to hear from this scripture. He can hear from any source of God. That's dangerous because the Bible's very clear that anything other than the Word of God is not right. And that's how the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and all these other cultic religions are founded. And when you study the faith movement, it gets that way. Now, I'm not saying everybody that's involved in the faith movement. And I, there were times when my own mother was very much in crazy about all the, those uh, TV preachers that are hung up in the faith movement. I'm not saying all that faith movement, if you're involved in the faith movement at all, that you're not saved. But I'm saying you have to study it very carefully and look at what those guys are saying. 
find the scriptures they're using, isolate them, and learn them. If you can't figure it out, there are guys in our church, we would love to take you through it. I've had numerous members of the church bring to me uh, scriptural passages or books they're reading or sections of books and say, help me understand what this means right here. Is this, is this guy right? That's what you should do in order to protect yourself from false doctrine when you're not sure. Um, we have to be careful because this, this guy that founded the faith movement was actually a Christian scientist. Christian scientist, that's a cult, by the way. Um, it's the one that all the Hollywood people are all caught up in. And, and they say very clever things, by the way. I was reading about Christian science just last week. Um, we say, 1 John 4 says, God is love. Sounds right. God is love. You know what they say? Well, that's so true that, you know, love is God. Love is God. That's not true. Okay? Every bit of love is not God. There can be love that's not of God or like God at all. So... God is love, yes, but love is not God. And if you push that love is God long enough, because it sounds good when you say that. It's like saying, well, God is wisdom, so wisdom is God. That's what the, that's the Christian science do it all the time. They flip everything kind of backwards around on you, and you go, wow, that sounds kind of cool and mystic and spiritual and all good. It's very Hollywood, by the way. That's why so many people in Hollywood are hung up on that Christian science deal. And it's, t- it's sweeping... Um, it takes off by storm at times. But, but they're subtly teaching error of doctrine. Subtly teaching. Well, if God is love, love is God. No, you can't go that way. If you think through it carefully, that's not always true. But God is always love, just like it says in the Scripture. So you have to be very careful in those things. So a little leaven is very dangerous. We can get pulled into works-based um, theology very quickly where we have to add unto. Um, it's, I was telling you about when, the, when I went through that time in high school when people were telling me the Holy Spirit was not fully into me. And I mean, I was really working at having my salvation become like all those guys in the group that were speaking in tongues. And I'm not saying speaking in tongues is erroneous, by the way. I'm saying God can give people the gift of that, and I've taught on that before. But I'm saying it wasn't, it's not for everybody. It definitely wasn't for me. And I was trying so hard to be one of those guys. And it scared me like crazy that I wasn't connected with God. But I was all along. And these false teachings were pulling me away. Sometimes we get into situations and you'll hear people say, and I want to just warn you against this. You know, well, the Holy Spirit led me to say this. Or the Holy Spirit showed me this. Um, and it's some... I have a revelation from the Holy Spirit. When people say that, you need to be very careful that they're, if they want to quote Scripture right behind that, that's great. That's the Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He guides us in truth. This is truth. He guides us in the ways of God and the works of God. He reveals truth to us. The Holy Spirit doesn't give new revelation to people today, ever. So if you have a new revelation from God, it might be... Like the pizza you had the night before. It might be some passionate thing you're wanting to do. And I, I believe there are people on the mission field today from this. They've got a revelation from God to go to the mission field. And it worked out fine because God was passionately trying to get their gifts there. So they said it. But I'm saying it's not the right way to say that kind of stuff. The Holy Spirit <coughs> doesn't give us revelation like that. <coughs> Excuse me. And we have to be very careful to distinguish truth. As we go through this, because if you can't distinguish truth, you can't help your kids distinguish truth. That's why I'm trying to get our, our church leaders to be very careful 
and how we do that. And if I keep getting excited, we're not going to finish. So <clears throat> let me keep going. Then Paul says in, in the passage, there's a, you have to have a limited view. You have to have a limited view. I watched a video called Evolution Versus God. <clears throat> it's on the Internet. It's awesome. Uh, by uh, Ray Comfort. And uh, there's, a, there's a lady on this thing that says, um, or there's a guy that says to, to Ray Comfort, who's a passionate Christian, um, evangelist and uh, um, he's very strong in his, in his apologetics and his understanding of the scriptures and uh, she says well that's very narrow minded of you and I'm like yes we are don't ever defend yourself when people call Christians narrow minded you can go yes because there is only one that's why Paul says look at what he says in verse 10 I have confidence that you will adopt no other view that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No other view. Don't add to that. <clears throat> and the Apostle Paul is very clear on that. In Acts chapter 4, Apostle Peter, under duress, he was in a mess in chapter 4. Going to be arrested. He's got all kinds of things happening. He says, there's no other name under heaven whereby you can be saved. Salvation is in no one else. There's no other name where you can be saved. So you can tell people, I'm sorry, you can't be saved with Buddha. He's not going to save you, you know. You can't be saved by being a good person. Not going to ever happen. There's no other name but by the name of Jesus that you can be saved. No other name. That's very narrow-minded of you. Yes, it is. It's also the truth of the inspired Word of God that is so clear. I'm going to teach in in the spring. We're going to go through a series where we just kind of cover... Some of the fundamentals of uh, why we believe the Word of God is inspired, why we believe Jesus is the Son of God. And uh, historically, we're going to tie some of that stuff together to show you how, how it's not just blind faith. We actually have some credentials of archaeology and history, and we have, we have science that agrees with us. And people say we're loons for believing what we believe, when in reality, they're the loons for believing what they believe. So um, there's a limited view that we're supposed to have. And then the Apostle Paul says, I have confidence you're going to do this. Then there are these ones who are disturbing you. Um, You shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Look at verse 11. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Why would they say Paul's preaching circumcision? It's kind of crazy, unless you know the whole history of Paul's life. Because there was a time when the Apostle Paul, uh, in Acts chapter 16, he met with a young man... Um, who's going to become one of his greatest disciples. And he's one of my greatest heroes in the New Testament. A young man named Timothy. And he tell, Timothy says, hey, I want to go with you. I want to follow you and preach the gospel with you. And Timothy was half Jewish. He had parents that were Jews and Greeks, um, Jews and Gentiles. And Paul said, hmm, this is going to be a little bit of a problem, Timothy. Timothy's 30 years old in his 30s. It's going to be a little bit of a problem. So if you want to go with me to preach, I'd like you to be circumcised. Now, you want to talk about a commitment to the gospel? You know, 30 years old, Timothy went, okay, okay. And at 30 years old, Timothy was circumcised so he could preach. And Paul actually encouraged him to be that way. So the Judaizers can say, see, see, there's Paul. He's, he's making a guy be circumcised so he can be saved. No, Paul wasn't making him circumcised so he could be saved. He was helping him understand in order to serve well in this group of people we're going to go to, 
you need to be circumcised because the Jews are going to reject us instantly if you don't have that. And this is a way for us to serve the gospel better. It wasn't ever about Timothy's salvation. Paul never made it about salvation, and he didn't have to. Paul understands sometimes you have to be all things to all people. Remember he says to the Corinthians? He says, look, I became to the weak, I became weak. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To the Gentiles, I became like a Gentile. Those without the law, I became as one without the law. Not that I wasn't out, under, out from under the law because the law of Christ covers me. But I'm, to all, I'm all things to all people. And that's what he was helping Timothy understand. Ministry requires you to sacrifice some, Timothy. Big sacrifice, buddy. But here we go. If you want to walk with me and these Jews and preach the gospel where we're going, this will help. Timothy said, okay. So that's why he's one of my heroes. That's a high on my mark list of heroes is Timothy for saying, okay, if that's what it takes, here we go. I'm, I'm committed. I'm very committed. But Paul says at the end of this passage, watch how intense he gets. He says, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still be persecuted? He's like, if those idiots think I'm preaching circumcision, why are they persecuting me? Why are the Judaizers coming in behind me and blaming me and making me have to write this whole letter to the Galatians? Why would they beat me up? It's because I ain't preaching circumcision. I'm preaching the cross. That's why he says it in the next sentence. Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. They shouldn't mess with me if I'm doing cross and circumcision. But if I'm just doing the cross, now they're offended. And I want to say to you, listen, the cross is very offensive. If you understand the cross, it's a very offensive truth of our culture. And it has to be offensive to work. Because anything else says you can figure out this by yourself or you can go on your own. But the cross, when you understand the cross all by itself, when you understand the cross, the cross says you are a horrible, rotten, terrible, sinful person. And the only way God could cover your sins was to beat up and bloody His only begotten, holy, perfect Son and hang Him on a cross and let Him pay for your horrible, rotten sins. That's what the cross says. Who wants a bloody Redeemer? Who wants a beat up, bleeding, gasping for life Redeemer? Nobody does. It's not a pretty picture. But it's ours. That's what we claim as Christians. The cross says to every one of us, I can't help myself. And I'm such a mess that it's going to take a horrible, bloody mess of the Holy One, the holiest one of all, one who's never sinned. Christ never sinned against anybody. He just drank my sin. And the minute He did, it cost Him everything. He was beaten and bloodied and hung on the cross and He died on behalf of me. But he rose again. That's what the cross is. And it's offensive. Because you know, the Jews like to, and all of us would like to say, well, I have a plan. I, I know how to, I can be a good person. I don't need all that blood and gore. And I sure don't need to acknowledge that I'm a terrible sinner. I mean, that would be terrible to think that I'm a sinner. So the, the video, uh, Evolution versus God, Ray Comfort's the guy that's real good about going around. If you've ever seen him on the internet, he goes around and just puts a microphone in your face and asks you, you know, are you a good person? You go, yeah. And he goes, well, have you ever lied? Well, of course I've lied something. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever stolen anything? Yeah, of course I've stolen something. Well, what do you call, what do you call a person who uh, lies and steals? Well, I'd be a liar and a thief. Well, so you're a good person, you're just a liar and a thief. And they're like, oh, 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 oh you know. He's like, well, so, you know, and then he kind of keeps going through that. And 
Ask, have you ever lusted toward anybody? Oh, yeah. So, so you're a liar, thief, and adulterer. You know, would you say, you're, yeah, I'm a liar, thief, and adulterer? So eventually, he gets you just to admit, I'm not a good person at all. You know, well, if you're not a good person, don't you need help with that? Can you help yourself? A lot of people think they can, but you can't. The gospel is so beautiful in that we can't... The whole issue of our faith is that we don't have a human achievement that can accomplish anything for God. We literally are grace covered by God. And He comes down from His throne and helps us with everything we do. That's the beauty of it. So why do we lie? I want to just conclude with a couple of things. And Paul says... Um, I'll just give you the blasting line at the end here. Uh, Would those who are troubling you even mutilate themselves? The Greek word there is castrate. Just wish the people that were pushing all this stuff on you, I just wish they would castrate themselves. (laughs) I think Paul's not just a little bit warmed up there. He's just a little bit tense. Well, it's interesting because if you study the region of Galatia, um, there's an area just next to Galatia... um, called uh, Phrygia, and uh, Phrygia, uh, Phrygia rather, is, had this great worship to a god called Sabeel. In order to be devoted to Sabeel, you had to be a eunuch. Every priest and every devoted worshiper in the temple of Sabeel, and this is just around the corner from the Galatian region, every one of those people had to castrate themselves. And you know what Paul's saying? Because the Galatians know exactly what he's saying. Now, we don't, that's not something that's common to us. But man, the Galatians, when they were... Some guy's reading this letter. Hey, the apostle, our friend, the Apostle Paul, wrote us this letter. Let me just read it to you. I'm hoping he read it ahead of time so he didn't just die when he read this part. But he's reading out loud to the church and he says, I wish those who were troubling you would castrate themselves. And they're all going, you mean like those crazy pagans? Those guys are nuts. I mean, that's the craziest thing in the world. And Paul's saying, I wish they were... Because if you're going to go... If you're gonna go Away from grace, just go all the way. Just go all the way to the craziest pagan side you can go if you're going to get away from grace. Paul said, just go all the way. And that's what he's saying. I wish they would. Um, so we get a little bit of Paul's zeal and his passion there. And we see that the cross is the only path. There's only one way that we can go. Now, why do we make our works-based uh, plans? Why, why do we as Christians, because our church is grace-based, but you know there's a danger. The first thing I told you today... It's a danger that we can slip into some sort of works theology. We can start making a list of do's and don'ts and rules and rights and wrongs. And if you, if you talk this way or drink these kind of things or dress this kind of way or look this kind of way, you really aren't saved. We can, we can all do that. Why do we do that? I want to just give you the idea. We do it because it's easier. It's a much easier system to make a list of rules. Um, I grew up at Greystone Christian School, going to Greystone Christian School from kindergarten to sixth grade. I was at a little Christian school that was, that was Pensacola-based out of Pensacola Christian College. I was a Pensacola school, model school. And uh, we had an enormous amount of rules. All the guys had to have a certain kind of haircut. We had to wear certain kinds of clothes. Um, we had all these little rules. We had to have a belt on, all that kind of stuff. Um, the dress code, the hair code, all this stuff was a part of our rules at my little Christian school. When, when I got to the seventh grade, my dad put me in university military school. Well, university military school had a ton of rules. And uh, all those rules, you know, had to do with keeping your, your dress code right, but they were, they were codes of how you can speak and who you can speak to and all this, all the kind of military stuff that happened there. And so I had to keep all those rules. So when I went to Bible college, I first went to South Alabama for three quarters and and right here by my favorite knot, as you know, I, I accepted the call of the ministry. And 
when I went away to Bible college, I get to Southeastern Bible College and they got this little handbook. And it's the student handbook. And it's just like five or six pages folded and stapled together, kind of rough shot back in the 70s, you know. It's this little deal. And I mean the students in my freshman class, we're in freshman orientation, they're freaking out over these rules, you know. You mean we got to wear a coat to class one day a week? I'm like, I had to wear a coat and tie to class five days a week at my military. I'm like, what are you guys freaking out about? You know, you mean we got to wear clean shoes? We can't just wear whatever we find in the closet? We got to wear shoes with tote, with covered toes? You know, because they're used to going to school and whatever they could find. And they're like, I thought when I got to college, I wouldn't do it. They're, of course, they're at Bible college. I'm like, well, didn't you read the rules before you came? But, you know, they're free. And I'm going, oh, I love these rules. These are, this is so easy. You just read the book and do it. Just read the book and do it. That's all there is to it. You know, it was a long time it took me to figure out that for a while I was living my relationship with God on a rule book. Going, oh, here's the list of rules. I'll just follow these rules and me and God will get along great. And I started studying through the book of John. And when I got to the cross and his descriptions of the cross and I began to realize what happened to the cross, God began to move my heart towards the concept of grace. And I began to realize that I can't obey enough rules in my life to be holy. You know you can't be holy? You can try. We're commanded in the Bible to be holy. And he promises to come down off his throne in First Peter and help us be holy. But you'll never be holy by yourself. You can't be righteous. We sang that song, clothe me in your righteousness. We have to be clothed in his righteousness because yours is never going to do it. The best you can do to him is filthy rags, the very best. So I had to learn that all my to-do lists and all my following, the little rule books I'd been given all my life, that were very comfortable for me. Man, I, I got to tell you, I loved following all those rules. And I got real good at it. People would, people would you know, evaluate me and go, hey, you're one of the best students we have. You know, why don't you, here, you some keys. I had keys to my high school. Literally, keys to the, to the school. Because they trusted me because I followed all the rules. And I began to learn that that's how you get close to the authorities. And then God said, that's not how you get close to me at all. You'll never keep all my rules. They're too high. Why don't you let me show you what it means to be saved by grace alone? And then when you keep the rules, it'll be because you love me, not because there's some judgment going to happen. And why don't you understand that I'll come down as a father. I'll come down to your level, and I'll help you with every bit of that. That's what it means to be saved by grace, to be sanctified by grace, and to walk in grace. So how do I protect myself? from these false teachers? Well, first, you have to be a student of the Word. I want to encourage you to, to keep your Bible close to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something kind of radical for today. And, I, and I, I love the electronic Bibles. I have them on my phone. The U version is fantastic. I um, have it on my phone, have it on my computer, all that good stuff. I have it on my tablet, but it doesn't help because the tablet's not coming on these days. <laughs> but, uh, but I want to just say to you, you ought to have a physical Bible too because you can write in the margin of this uh, my older brother has a practice of, of uh, marking in his Bible's sermon notes and little notes out to the side as he studies it for himself and reads it and finds things that are interesting. And then after numerous years of doing that where the Bible's all marked up, he gives it to one of his children. And uh, so even after he's gone, you have a Bible that's marked up by your dad. That's cool. Um, so I want to encourage you to take a physical Bible, but read your Bible. Don't just have it. <laughs> read it and use it because we have to be students of the Word. Sometime in the spring, we're gonna—I'll do the redo the 
uh, Bible study methods class that we do where you learn how to do inductive study methods on your own. You just sit, the kind of things that you can find, that you hear me teach on, you hear teachers expose, you go, well, how do you figure all that out? Well, it's real simple and it's a process, but once you learn how to do it and how to concentrate into a text, it'll help you dramatically. So we'll do that uh, coming up in January, we'll probably do that. And uh, do uh, some evening we'll do a Bible study process. The other thing I want to incur- encourage you to do is let the elders of, of a good church, our church be one, let them help you discern truth. When you don't know, you don't have to figure it out by yourself. Bring it to your leaders. Bring it to your youth leaders. And if your youth leaders don't know, they'll take it bring it to me. Uh, bring it to our elders in our church. We have a group of elders that are, that are always in the Scriptures and studying and reading and learning. We're sharing books with each other all the time. And so we can help you discern those things, and you won't get caught in error. Um, you won't get led astray by some health and wealth and prosperity doctrine. See, the Apostle Paul was very clear that grace alone through faith alone saves. And then there's this faith movement that says, well, if you have enough faith, you won't ever get sick. You'll never get sick if you have enough faith. I'm sorry. That's not accurate. If they say if you have enough faith, you'll never have a bad trial in your life. Well, do you think John the Baptist at his beheading was not a man of faith? Because they're going, hey, if you just renounce your faith... You know, we're not going to... And he goes, oh, I've got all the faith in the world. You think the Apostle Peter, when he was crucified upside down, did not have faith? He had great faith. He just happened to be crucified upside down for his faith. So faith doesn't get you out of trials. Sometimes it puts you in the trials. The Apostle Paul, always, when he... That's why Timothy had to be circumcised. Always, when he first got to a town, what's the first place he went to? The synagogue. And the second place, the jail. <laughs> He'd go to the synagogue and preach, and then put him in jail every time. Every time. They'd just put him in jail. You're preaching, you're messing with us again, you're creating all kinds of trouble, go to jail. So Paul go to the synagogue and then to the jail. Do you think those trials were because he didn't have faith? No, the trials were because he had faith. When Paul was beheaded on the Athian way, he was beheaded for his faith. It wasn't because he didn't have faith. Faith doesn't mean you're going to go without trials or hard times or be killed. Faith means I trust in the living Word of God. And if, if my life ends right now with an axe to the neck, then I'll be standing in the presence of Almighty God. And He'll be there for me, and He'll embrace me, and He'll say, Good job. Thanks for hanging in there. That's how that's supposed to work. Amen?